Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Good morning again to all of you. We are so glad that you've chosen to be here with us this morning. As we often say, we don't take it for granted. And to those joining us online as well, thank you for doing so. And might I say as well this morning, be the one to add to this, Happy Mother's Day uh, to each and every one of our moms here this morning. And, and I would say Happy Mother's Day to moms in every sense of that word. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've been here with us at Calvary for a previous Mother's Day, you know that we try to be sensitive to all of the ways that make someone a mother. And also that there can be a range of emotions that are experienced on a day like today. Some of those emotions not necessarily the most pleasant. And so we seek to recognize that as well. And so we know that being a mother, uh, while certainly defined in many respects by the act of giving birth, uh, is hardly limited to that alone. Uh, while we certainly don't discount the act of, of giving birth, certainly, um, and how that in and of itself should make each of us grateful for mothers. You know, by virtue of you being here right now, means someone gave birth to you. So we have that uh, to be grateful for. And we know that, that God uses women to give us life, but we recognize also that God uses women to fulfill this role in a variety of ways that are certainly worth celebrating. And so uh, I often make it my aim on this day to share a few of these thoughts, and I want to do so again this year. And so I hope that you'll bear with me, but also be encouraged uh, by this. And so on behalf of Calvary Chapel, may I say to those who gave birth this year to a first child or another child, uh, we celebrate with you and would say Happy Mother's Day. To those who sadly may have lost a child this year, we mourn with you as well. To those who experienced loss this year, perhaps through miscarriage, maybe a failed adoption, perhaps even a wayward child, we mourn with you also. To those who continue to deal with guilt and shame over a past abortion, we pray that you might recognize the grace, the forgiveness, and the freedom that's available to you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. To those who walk a very hard path of infertility, often not known to others, a path that's often filled with tears and with disappointment, we walk with you. And I would say especially for this one, forgive us, your brothers and sisters in Christ, for when we say foolish things, we don't mean to make it harder for you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. And so please, please keep up the great work. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate that. To those who have disappointment and heartache and distance from your children, we grieve with you over that. To those who may have lost a mother this year, we grieve with you also. And certainly to those who may have experienced abuse or rejection at the hands of a mother, we acknowledge that experience and pray that God would restore and reconcile. To those who are living through the daily testing of motherhood, thank you for your hard work. We are better because you're in our midst. To our single moms today, we recognize that this is not how you planned it. And we know that it is hard. And we would say, hang in there and lean into Jesus even more for strength and support. To those who may be uh, having emptier nests in the upcoming year, we both grieve and 
rejoice with you. To those who are pregnant with new life, both the expected and the surprising, we anticipate that joy with you. To those in pursuit of adoption, do not stop. Keep pressing on. We're here for you. And perhaps to others whom I missed, and to all of the ladies in our midst, happy Mother's Day. This Mother's Day, may we strive to be the church, to walk with you, celebrating the gift that is life, but also hoping even more so in the fullness of life which is to come. Thank you to every woman here today, whether mother in the obvious sense or in a host of others. We do appreciate you and love you. Let's give our mothers a round of applause. We certainly do appreciate you, and I'm glad for this special day. Now, as we turn our attention to the Word here this morning, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15. Some of you may be confused by that, expecting me to have said Romans. After all, we just started our study through Romans last week. However, if you are at all familiar with the second half of Romans 1, you might also agree that that makes for a tough Mother's Day message. Um, If you thought that I would tackle it nonetheless, you had more confidence than I did. Um, I did, in fact, wrestle with it throughout the week, thinking, well, Lord, we just started, and uh, and this is an important passage of Scripture. And rest assured, I know that all of Scripture is of value, but the topics that we'll cover next week as we return to Romans were just simply not the words of encouragement that I wanted to uh, share today. And so I trust that this is what the Lord has for us instead. So, We're returning to a passage that we considered not all that long ago, but we're going to focus in a little closer on a person in this passage that we did not consider with as much depth the last time. We're going to pick our study up this morning in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. You can read along uh, along there with me in a moment. It's, It's here in this passage that we will consider this morning the great faith of a mother. That is what I would title my message this morning, The Great Faith of a Mother. Now, this is not the faith of a great mother, but rather the great faith of a mother. And it's interesting, this faith that was so great uh, of this woman, it was recognized by, by Jesus himself. He is the one that declared that her faith was indeed great. And it's important to consider this because only two times in Scripture does Jesus call out someone's faith as being great. This woman, as well as a centurion, uh, neither of which are Jews, but rather Gentiles. And in fact, what's also interesting to me is that the Greek word for faith is the word that is rightly translated into our language as mega. So you could say that this woman had a mega faith. That sounds more American, doesn't it? Right? Supersized faith, right? We like that. She has a mega faith. That's pretty cool. I would like such to be said about me. But here's the thing. As we oftentimes consider in Scripture those who lived pretty incredible lives, we can also potentially dismiss them as an example of of some great biblical character, some hero of the faith whose example may seem out of reach to us. But know this also about this woman with a great faith is that we don't even know her name. So ordinary and average was this person, obscure even, that we don't even learn who she is. Yet the significance of her faith is forever immortalized in Scripture. 
And that's what I want us to consider here this morning. What is it that makes her faith so great? And so let's read together, starting in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 15. We read, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. If you would agree with me once more in prayer. Father, we we pause once again now as we look at your word and we ask, Lord, give us understanding. Lord, give us appreciation. Lord, so move in our midst here and upon our hearts this morning that we would take what we learn here and apply it to our lives. Cause us to, Lord, to leave not just different, Lord, but with greater faith. Greater faith in you, Lord, and our trust, Lord, that you are and will continue to work in our lives. And we also, Lord, in that faith, uh, surrender, Lord, uh, to be a people, Lord, allowing you to move and work in our hearts in a way that you desire, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here again, verse 21, we read, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. You see, Jesus had just left a tense encounter with the scribes and Pharisees, which took place along the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And now he's continued to make his way further northeast to the Mediterranean coast in the area of Tyre and Sidon. This is far into Gentile territory. So Jesus, here's the implication, goes from Israel, and the people that he had come to minister to first to an area now outside of Israel to Gentiles. And and really, because of religion, because of tradition, and, and, and how that contributes to spiritual blindness, many were unable to receive Jesus, to see him for who he truly was. And so now he travels some 50 to 60 miles to what is modern day Lebanon to have an encounter with a Gentile woman. A Canaanite woman, as Scripture refers to her. This is significant, and it seems, based off of what we see in Scripture and and really what we don't see, that this is, in fact, the reason that he goes to this place. This is, in fact, a divine appointment. And so in verse 22, we read, and Matthew writes, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Matthew refers to this woman as of Canaan. And this is a way of him communicating her race and her religion really in one. And ultimately, the implication then is that she is historically considered an enemy of Israel. Yet here, she is crying out to Jesus and calling him the son of David. You see, Jesus can't get those who are supposedly spending their lives in anticipation of the Messiah to see who he is. Yet this outsider who who knows relatively little about him declares him to be so. She rightly calls him the son of David. She's calling him the Messiah. And it's here 
that we see the first characteristic of the great faith of this mother. If you're taking notes this morning, I would invite you to write these down. You'll see four in total throughout the morning. And the first here, this first characteristic of great faith would be that which is the object of her faith. Her great faith is rooted in Jesus. Jesus is the object of her faith. Here is this Gentile woman who knows little of Scripture. She knows little of the promise of a Messiah, but she knows that Jesus is the one who can do this work in her life and no one else. We must ask the question when we see this, we must be willing, both as believers and certainly as an unbeliever, because whether you know Jesus or not, rest assured you put your faith in something. And what is it that you're putting your faith in? Each and every day we exercise faith. We put our faith in various things. And far too often, even amongst believers, if we are honest, we're putting our faith in a variety of different things. Our faith in, in if we're facing problems, what do we expect to solve those problems for us? How do we expect certain resources and provision to come in our lives? What are the things that we look to for peace and for comfort, for enjoyment, for contentment? If it's anything other than Jesus, the fact of the matter is then we're not looking to him solely as the object of our faith. And rest assured, faith in anything other than Jesus is nothing more than a mere wish. It will always, always, always disappoint. So we see first here the object of her great faith is Jesus. But secondly, we also see that her great faith is not self-seeking. What is it that she is seeking? She's seeking after Jesus. And it's coming from a place of desperation. It's coming in the form of intercession. And it's regarding her daughter. You see, when it comes to faith, when it comes to great faith, our motive must be right. The object of her faith was Jesus, and the motive of her faith was right, and that it was not about her and what she could gain. And here's the thing about about her as she talks about her daughter. In the original Greek here, it doesn't translate exactly this way into most of our Bibles, but she doesn't simply say, my daughter. She says, in effect, my darling little daughter. For this woman, there is a great burden for her daughter. She loved her daughter. She's caring about her. She's concerned for her. And so her faith is exercised on behalf of another. It's important for us to understand here that our motives must be right. It's not wrong for us to seek a move of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but what is it for? Is it ultimately for His glory? Is it so that we would be used by Him in a more powerful way? Or is it simply for our own gain, for our own comfort? And as it pertains to this woman, who indeed we can see here, I believe, is a good mother, we cannot begin to grasp the lives that have been impacted by praying mothers. Hear this woman interceding for her daughter, burden for her daughter. I can tell you as one standing before you today, and I'm sure many others could testify of this, that I am in large part the man I am today and doing the things that I'm doing, serving as a pastor in part because of the prayers of faith of that of my mother and of my wife. I'm grateful for it. And so moms, be encouraged as you spend time on your knees praying for your children. God hears your prayers. And so here in Scripture, we see a good mom who's desperate for her daughter, and she knows there's nothing that she can do except to throw herself at the mercy of Jesus. 
But then what's interesting as we start to go on in this encounter is we see that Jesus doesn't seem to react the way that we would expect him to. In fact, in every sort of back and forth with this woman, Jesus seems to take a step back from her, not towards her. He seems to be sort of distancing himself from her request. But I think as we'll see, it's with great intention. There's a purpose behind it. But here first in verse 23, we see that he answered her not a word. He didn't respond. This should seem odd to us. Why doesn't Jesus answer? This woman is desperate. She's pleading. She's rightly declared who he is. Why does he not respond? And admittedly, as I've already alluded to, we're about to witness an interaction between this woman and Jesus that seems out of character for Jesus. Plain and simple. But Jesus knows what he's doing. And I believe that what he's doing here is drawing the situation out for the benefit of the others who are there, namely his disciples who he's still about teaching. He's instructing them. He's readying them. But it's for our benefit as well as we sit here this morning and study this passage. He wants for people to see this woman's faith. Now I would, though, ask for the sake of application here this morning as this woman cries out to Jesus, pleads, for mercy, and Jesus doesn't respond, I wonder, for some of you, do you ever feel like God just isn't answering your prayers? Do you ever feel like you too are not hearing a word? You're wondering, why isn't God responding? Why is it that I keep crying out and nothing seems to be happening? In those moments, what do you do? Do you find yourself inclined to to give up? to move on to some other option that you think may fulfill, may take care of the problem? Do you you find yourself just assuming that God is just not there for you? Maybe you're beyond His reach, beyond His grace. You see, we must take the opportunity as well as we look at this woman and her great example of faith, especially here as the situation seems to become less and less favorable to her, to see what it is that she does. How does she react Because you see, it says here that his disciples, they come and they urged him saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. You know, the disciples, they're thinking, Jesus, get rid of her. Get her out of here. She's just disrupting our plan. She's an obstacle for us. She's annoying us. In their minds, she's like all the other Gentiles, what they would refer to as a wild dog, not worthy to be around them. But he answers, and he says in verse 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, in this moment, Jesus continuing to draw this conversation out to invite her into more, makes a statement that essentially says, I came for the Jews. You're a Gentile. But in verse 25, she responds by coming and worshiping him and saying, Lord, help me. That's important to see here that, that as it says she worshipped him, we should, we should know what this means, right? Worship isn't just about, oh, that chunk of time when you sing songs at the beginning of the service. Well, that's praise and worship. What, what is worship? Anybody making progress on memorizing Romans 12, 1 and 2? Anybody? You should have known this was coming, right? All right. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your body a living sacrifice. What is that? It's your spiritual act of worship, right? What's the implication there? What does it mean to worship? 
Surrender. Put your life on the altar. Lord, I, my life is not my own. It's yours. As she comes to him and worships him, yes, she is bowing down to him, but this is in an act of surrender. Again, sh- the object of her faith is absolutely right. She knows who he is, and she knows you're the one, and my life is yours. Lord, help me. That's her response to Jesus saying, well, hold on a minute. I didn't come except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In some respects, he's testing her faith a little bit here, but he knows of her faith, and he's drawing it out for the benefit of those who are around. And so you see, despite what could have been perceived as rejection from Jesus, and certainly as she encountered the obstacles that were the disciples, we see here, number three, that great faith is persistent in overcoming obstacles. She didn't stop. The object of her faith was Jesus. The motive of her faith was not self-seeking. And now we see that the action of her faith was persistent. She did not let obstacles discourage her or cause her to quit. Far too often we grow discouraged too easily and too quickly and we begin to seek out other ways to satisfy our needs. We must be persistent in pursuing Jesus. And I would ask and be considerate this morning of some of you that may feel rejected. Some of you that may feel like it's just not working out. I'm continuing to struggle. You may feel like everyone is against you. You may feel like God just isn't listening. And in those moments, we need to get the object and the motive of our faith right and be persistent. Continue to pursue him, trusting and knowing and believing that it's God's character to care for you, that it's the promise of his word and he is faithful. And you might say, but it's hard. And I don't think I can keep it up anymore. I don't know that I can keep doing this. And I want you to understand, as we look at this woman here, does it seem as if though she's exercising persistence here, in terms of what she's articulating to Jesus, is it some just well-articulated, deep theological truth that she's really just thought all of these things out and now she's laying her case before him? No, she's very simply just saying, Lord, help me. There is a dependence on Jesus. There's a dependence. Look at how simple this prayer is. Lord, help me. Charles Spurgeon writes of this very thing. He says, I commend this prayer to you because it is such a handy prayer. You can use it when you are in a hurry. You can use it when you are in a fright. You can use it when you have not time to bow your knee. You can use it in the pulpit if you are going to preach. You can use it when you are opening your shop. You can use it when you are rising in the morning. It is such a handy prayer that I hardly know any position in which you could not pray it. Lord, help me. Consider the utter dependence that is beginning to be displayed by this woman. And as hard of a place as this is to be, it's ultimately a wonderful place. Easier said than done, I know. Listen, consider for a moment God's grace. What is grace? It's his unmerited favor towards you. Oftentimes, and you've heard me say this as of late, and it's something that as I alluded to last week, if you even recall, it's one of those things that's sort of stuck in my head and in my heart right now. And I praise God for it because he's giving me, I feel, a deeper understanding of his grace each and every day. Far too often as believers, we take his grace and we confine it to his work upon the cross. 
And as powerful and as wonderful as that is, and as foundational as that is, it can be a disservice to him and to us when we think that his grace is only demonstrated in that he saved you. And that's it. No, his grace is continually being poured out upon you day after day after day in ways that you don't even begin to realize. In fact, it can even be the the most difficult things happening in our lives are in fact a work of his grace. How could that possibly be? Because, as we considered this past Wednesday night, he is using these things in your life, working them all together for good. And not just for good, not just because he says, I want something good for you, but because he says, I'm going to use these circumstances to change you and to transform you and to make you more like me. And so, yes, when we find ourselves in situations where, like this woman, we're thinking, I'm at my wit's end. I've tried everything else. Lord, I'm coming to you and and, and I have no other option here. Uh, Lord, help me, please. And we find ourselves going, I don't know how I can do this much longer. That's exactly the place that sometimes the Lord wants us to be where he says, okay, now you're fully dependent on me. Now I have your attention and can begin to work in your life. And mind you, some people look at them and they say, see, that's the, that's the kind of God that, that I don't like. Be careful, because you're making God in your own image, okay? So you're violating the commandments there. But not only that, you're failing to recognize that it's His grace and His mercy that's at work beginning to change you and transform you and to turn you into something new, to continue to make you more like Him. So that as you then have the perspective of looking back on some of those difficult times in your life, you can go, wow, Lord. You are so faithful. And though I am not yet the person that you have created me to be, I'm certainly not that same person anymore that I was back then. Thank you, Lord, for working in my life. Thank you, Lord, for working all things together for good. So this woman, as hard as it is, is coming to this place of utter dependence, demonstrating and exercising great faith, and it's going to pay off. Jesus answered, verse 26, and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So she's just come to worship him. She's laying her life down before him. She's saying, Lord, help me. And this is how Jesus responds? Now, this is where a lot of people get confused, myself included. The first time I read through this, I think to myself, well, that's just downright rude. It's disrespectful. Jesus, why are you calling this woman a dog? Now, here's the thing. We've got to be able to look at that and go, that doesn't fit. Remember the game, which one of these things doesn't belong, right? This has got to be one of those things. There's got to be something else here. And so remember, one thing we should keep in in mind is that we don't have the benefit of knowing tone here or mannerisms, okay? So we're we're not observing this conversation. Certainly, that would give us much as we hear Jesus, as we see him, as we see his face, as he's interacting with this woman. No doubt it would lend itself to greater understanding. But here's what I want us to understand that we can pull out of Scripture. I mentioned that most Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs, wild dogs. And it would certainly seem here that Jesus is adopting the same uh, view, the same vernacular uh, at first glance. But there's a distinction here in the word that he uses. And remember, there is purpose. There's always purpose. The disciples here are probably thinking, amen. That's right, Jesus. Send her away. Be done with this. But, as Je- but just as Jesus is drawing this woman into a conversation, so he's drawing the disciples in so that they can see the faith of this woman. Now, Jesus, as he says to this woman, 
Why would I take from the plate of children and give food to the dog? He's not referring to the woman the way others have as a wild dog, but rather he has used a term that means little puppy, the kind that would be kept in the house. Now this may still seem odd. You may still be thinking, uh, still wouldn't do that. Still wouldn't use that word, right? But remember, this is cultural. And you must trust and understand that Jesus here is sort of having a little banter with this woman, but one that is opening the door and welcoming her to continue so that the disciples can learn from this encounter and others, even us, see the great display of this woman's faith. And this woman then, so full of faith, so persistent, so determined to seek healing for her daughter, and I would even add so witty, picks up on it and continues to engage in the conversation, saying in verse 27, and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now what she is saying here is, in effect, and I would paraphrase, I don't mind if Israel's first. I don't mind if it was your mission to come to them. Give them whatever you want. I'm not asking you to take anything from them, and I know that I may not deserve it. But like a house puppy, I'm under the table here, a part of the family. There's affection, and I'll take anything I can get. You see, Psalm 51, verse 17, this is David. He writes, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Listen, friends, and and, and mothers even, I would speak specifically to mothers in this moment. This woman who had a faith that was rooted in Jesus was not self-seeking, This woman who had a faith that was persistent in overcoming obstacles. Look, her, her circumstances drove her to the feet of Jesus. And here in this moment, what's happening is she's letting go of any sense of identity she's let she anything she may have convinced herself that she deserved. She wasn't inclined to compare herself to others. She wasn't going to argue over Israel's worth or lack thereof. She was simply with open hands saying, I'll take whatever you'll give me. And so you see the final characteristic of this mother's great faith that I want us to consider this morning is that it was humble. It was humble. She had no illusions of what she deserved, only that she was appealing to, to one who is able. And that is and should be how we approach him as well. And you see, this is one of the greatest distinctions, if not the greatest distinction of faith, that it is not rooted in what we feel we deserve, but rather in humility, it's rooted in who he is. You see, here's the thing about Mother's Day, as I kind of bring it back around here for a moment. The Mother's Day narrative, if you will, and maybe not narrative, Mother's Day marketing, I worked for a large company for 13 years. They were experts in marketing, and their goal was to make money, right? And what would, we, what would the marketing be for Mother's Day? Moms, this is your day. You deserve it, right? You deserve it. Now, here's the deal. I don't want to blow it right now, ladies, okay? Do not get me wrong. I'm totally cool with showing moms a little love and attention for all that they do on this day, okay? But rest assured, biblically speaking, and this applies to all of us, we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve it. We don't. And when we come to terms with that, 
when we fully understand that, when we begin then to really grasp more and more of his grace and his mercy, that can become a very freeing thing. Because what it also means then is we all can't earn it either. Author Susan Narjala, specifically of motherhood, writes this. As Christian mothers, holding on to the ideal of earned worth through our work sits at odds with our faith. We don't earn the blessings God freely pours into our lives. Every good and perfect gift comes from our generous Heavenly Father. It's from the fullness of His grace that we receive one blessing after another, not the rewards we believe are owed us. And this truth can be applied to each of us. It's not just for mothers. This is essential to our faith to say, Lord, I don't deserve it. But you, Lord, are the object of my faith. My motives, it's not about me and what I can get. No matter the obstacle, I'll pursue you. And Lord, I know that I'm not worthy, but you're the only one who can do this. And I believe that it's not because of me, but because of who you are that you will work in this situation. That's faith. And so then we see in verse 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And look at this. Here's the other thing about this woman. Jesus didn't say, woman, great is your faith, your daughter's healed. Jesus here essentially gave her a blank check. Great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire. And so this is how we know that in fact her faith was right and the motive was right and her heart was right and that she was a good mother because what she was seeking of Jesus was exactly that. That all he had to say was, your desire is answered. And her daughter was healed in that moment. Ladies, I want to speak to you directly again for a moment simply because I believe that this particular issue is one that is, a con- that is a constant assault against you by the enemy on nearly a daily basis in our culture. What was recognized here by Jesus of this woman? What did he recognize? Her faith. He recognized her faith. Please note, Jesus did not recognize how hard she worked. He did not ask her how smart or well-behaved her daughter was. He didn't say, did your daughter make the honor roll? Then I'll consider it, right? Is she she doing all these things that you've taught her? Kids, that's not an excuse. He didn't ask this woman whether or not she had accomplished more than all the other moms that morning. Jesus didn't check her social media to see how many followers she had or how many likes she was getting or what it was that she was spending her time on. All of the various ways in which our culture seeks to... uh, place value on ladies today, especially moms, and the mom guilt that comes from that. Jesus didn't mention any of those things. What Jesus recognized came from her dependence, her humility, her selflessness, all of which our culture really despises, if it's honest, her persistence in seeking Him, All of that contributed to Jesus recognizing one thing that would forever characterize this woman's life. He recognized her great 
faith. Proverbs 31 verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. To all who are listening, such a life, such faith begins first with surrender to Jesus. That's where it all begins. This woman began with declaring that Jesus was Lord. She came surrendered, worshiping Him. This is where it must begin for each of us. I'm going to invite Christian to come up and close us out in a song. And whether for, for those here, the, someone watching online, if that's you, if you are in a place where you know, I want this to be how my life is characterized. I want this to be what my life looks like. That my my the object of my faith would be Jesus and Him alone. That my motive would not be for anything other than for Him and His glory and for others in my life. That I would be known as one who is persistent in working through obstacles, not giving up, not quitting, but saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to pursue You even when it's hard, knowing that this is Your grace in my life. And Lord, I'm going to do it with humility knowing that I don't deserve it, but it's all because of you. If you want that to be your life, it starts first with being surrendered to him. And so maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you say, no, I've never really surrendered my life to Christ. Do it now. I'm going to give you a chance to, to say that prayer here shortly. Or maybe you're one who's been walking with the Lord, but you know, man, I am way off track. I need to get my life right. I need to stop chasing after all these other things. And use today as the opportunity to make things right. I would ask if you would, just with heads bowed and, and eyes closed, to agree with me now in prayer. And if this is you this morning, though the truth of the gospel, though the work of the cross is the most incredible work in all of history, though it's foundational to all that we believe, though in that respect it is entirely complex and profound, to receive Jesus is incredibly simple. To simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came and lived a life that I could not live, that you died a death that I could not die. You did it for me so that I could be saved, that I could be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. And Lord, I'm sorry. I repent of my sins. And I recognize that for far too long I've put so many other things on the throne of my heart. I've made far too many other things in this world my priority. I've put my faith and my trust in them. And Lord, it, those things just pass away. But you, Lord, you are eternal. And so, Lord, I ask for forgiveness and I ask that you'd take your place on the throne of my heart. Help me, Lord, to live for you. Help my life to be one, Lord, that is marked by great faith. And maybe you know Jesus and you just need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've wandered away. I'm sorry that I've, I've gotten discouraged. I'm sorry that I've started chasing after the things of this world to satisfy. I've not been living a life of faith. Lord, would you forgive me? Whatever you need to tell the Lord, I pray that you do that here as we close in this last song and make it right. I don't say this from a place of praise, but to share that you know that there were others in the first service that came forward to say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me. I want to live a life of faith. And so if that's you, you're not alone. Don't leave here today without making it right. Father, we love you so much. We give you praise, Lord, for this day that you've given us and for the working of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in our hearts and in our midst here as a body. Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, to work this truth down into our hearts such that, Lord, these principles that we've considered of this woman who we know not other than, Lord, her great faith, 
that it could be said of us as well. And that it would all be, Lord, for your glory. Lord, I pray once again for a special blessing on the women that are here today. Various ways in which they fulfill the role of a mother. Lord, bless them and encourage them. And Lord, I pray that you, Lord, would be enough for them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you thanks. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.